Hey, what's up? It's episode 113, Pain Points of Wealth, and there's a tug of war going on in the economy right now. Inflation, been stubborn, not coming down as quick as expected, yet the job market remains to be hot as people are spending money at an unexpectedly high rates. So what does this mean? We got consumer spending, yet inflation is still high. Is that the recipe for disaster? Well, we're going to tell you what we think today on the show and on the tipping point today. We're going to talk about questions you need to be asking yourself to make sure you're on your path to financial independence. Lots of things to talk about. We got a great show. Hit the music. Hey, guys, you know, the market's always frustrating for just about everybody, right? Especially the permabulls and the uh, permabears and, and more importantly, the pessimists out there right now that don't believe anything good's happening. But... You know, trying to predict the future is futile, right? You take, just take the warm weather we're having. You guys are experiencing 65 degrees in New York. Europe's having an unseasonably warm uh, winter. And none of the economists can forecast that because you can't forecast the weather just like you can't forecast the short-term <laughs> market moves. And as a result of warmer weather, everybody's got more money to spend on other things other than gas and energy. You know, I feel so bad for Putin. It's really putting a crimp on his war in Ukraine. But Bob, to your point, right, that's such a big surprise in the positive because in Europe, which again, those markets are close to an all-time high right now, um, is a complete surprise. And you couldn't find anyone on Wall Street who would have predicted that ahead of time. It's one of the reasons why we always believe you should own everything because you don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Ryan. I met with a client last night and uh, we were going through some of, the, some of his other accounts. And one of the things I noticed is that he's very underweighted uh, international and emerging markets. And uh, I asked him why. He said, I just feel like it's better in the U.S. He's like, you know, the hmm. international markets haven't done anything the last 10 years. Well, you know what they say, guys. Uh, you know, people project the future based on the most recent experience. So everybody's going to feel that way. Right. I always think that, oh, yeah, it's going to it's going to repeat. But remember what I always say, past performance is 100 percent predictive of past performance it has nothing to do with what's going to happen next. Meanwhile, um, you know, we're just about finished earnings season and earnings were just weren't as bad as expected. Right. I mean, if you see earnings were definitely down for the quarter. But again, it's not about if they're down or up. It's just relative to what everyone expected. All the consensus uh, beliefs about where profits were going to be were much lower than when they actually came in. And even when you go into next year, I mean, everyone's forecast is so dire that odds are you'll probably get surprises on the upside, not the downside. It's all about where expectations are, and they're pretty low right now. Well, you know, Chris, your client felt that way because that's how things were to pass. But, and everybody believes that you just buy the S&P 500, and it was a great diversifier. It was a great diversifier before it was overweighted in five large-cap tech companies. So today, what you have to do is you have to diversify. So, you know, like they used to say in the Cold War, you know, trust but verify. Bob Payne's saying it right now. Trust but diversify. <laughs> Dad, I always thought the trend was your friend. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. is still it's not, Chris, right? <laughs> it's always really good until you fall off that cliff. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's a long yeah. fall to yeah. the bottom. Well, it's a great point about the S&P 500 because it is conventional wisdom. I own 500 stocks. I'm diversified. And we've, we've talked about this in the past on this podcast, but if you look at it, it's like 27% tech. So I've always said it in the past, but it's like a tech fun and drag. And meanwhile, Bobby talked about you know the, the big mega cap names, the, the big eight, we'll call it, represents over 20% of the entire index. That's just eight stocks that make up a good portion of the entire index. So you're not really getting 500 stock exposure because it's capitalization weighted. And I think that's a big mistake a lot of investors are going to make moving forward here. So they're just going to own the S&P 
and there's a good chance they're going to be very, very disappointed. Well, you know, you add in the consumer discretionary with growth in tech, you end up with 38% of the index dominated, you know, by the big stocks of the last 10 years. Hey, maybe it will repeat and, and have a phenomenal run. My uh, studies show that very rarely, as a matter of fact, it never happens. <laughs> oh, about maybe. It never happens. Yeah, well, you couple that too. I mean, and, and talking to a lot of my clients this past week, they still think that we're going into a recession. You know, a lot of them want to be in cash. They want to sit in things like treasuries, which I mean, you know, to be fair, yields are good, but, you know, you're not getting the kind of returns that you need, that you would need long term, especially to fight inflation. I know. It's always the, uh, you know, the mistake people make of they, they say, I don't I don't want to sell low and buy high. But there's a classic example, right? Market's down last year. Let's sell. And what do you want to buy? I want to buy treasury bills while they're at an 18 year high. Um, and, you know, meanwhile, the economy is going through a rolling recession, right? There are areas that are weak because the consumer is transitioning right from goods to services, even though we did have 13.6 million cars sold in December, jumped to 16 uh, million units in January. Right. If that's a recession, I don't know who's buying all these cars. Yeah. I mean, just to keep it simple, you've got wages growing at something like over 4% a year. You've got consumer spending going up by 5% a year. Remember, the consumer drives the economy. And if you look at 95% of mortgages, they're at fixed rates. You know, most expenses people have in the economy are already locked in. So even with interest rates going up, that only affects a small part of the economy, whether you're buying like a washing machine. You know, if it's financing costs for a car, and to your point, Bob, people are still buying cars regardless. Um, you know, that only that's something like only 20% of GDP, meaning that even interest rates with the Fed trying to put the kibosh on inflation, well, they only have limited tools that can do anything anyway. And meanwhile, the economy's chugging along and nobody believes that we're in good shape here, yet the data keeps coming in positive every month to everyone's surprise. You know, it really comes down to how you view the market. I mean, if you're if you're a bear, you're going to see things. Every bit of news is going to be negative. If you're bullish, you're an optimistic, you're going to see everything, you know, as positive. Or you'll see it real realistically. Like take PPI, right? PPI came hotter than expected, right? How's that not bearish? Well, yeah, that's the pr producer's price index, right? Last month, if you looked in the inflation numbers, they came in hotter than expected, and everyone, like, panicked. But you know what it is? It's about a myopic view, right? Okay, that's one month. But if we look at inflation, inflation peaked at 9% this summer. It's now at 6.4%. Like, that's a big drop. And you said that producer's price index, it's been cut in half over the course of the last couple of months. So I think that's the bigger picture here. The key is look at the bigger picture. Um, and I think what happens is when you watch the financial news and every week you're living, you know, week to week on what new financial data is coming out, you, you miss the big picture. And when you know the macro environment, you can see the macro picture. That's much more important as an investor. And if we've been saying, you know, look, look at the overall data. Look at the bigger picture is China's opening up. Inflation's moderating. People are spending money. Look at the price of oil. Yeah, look at the price of oil. Exactly. It's down from $129 a barrel or whatever it was, $120 a barrel uh, back last March. Well, you know, what it comes down to, guys, it's that simple. Markets don't care if the news is good or if the news is bad. All it really cares about are things getting better or are things getting worse. And if you open your eyes and you see all the numbers coming out, I don't see anything that's not getting better. Well, I'm going to keep it simple. I know the economy is doing well because Chris just bought another boat. Well, that may very well be true, Ryan, but that boat has pain capital management slapped all over it. <laughs> oh, that means we're paying for it, Ryan. <laughs> exactly. No, no surprise, Bob. <laughs> no surprise there, huh? <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Hey, hope you're enjoying episode 113, Pain Points of Wealth. Everything you hear on this podcast, along with some due diligence of your own, can help you get ahead financially, literally at any stage of your journey. Bob, Chris, and I now have a collective 75 years helping individuals just like you with your planning and investing. But if you want a more hands-on approach and you want someone to look at your overall financial game plan, well, Bob, Chris, and I offer every week our total financial master plan. If you saved over a million dollars, we'll put one together with no obligation or cost. It's a free review where we literally look at everything. We go as far as building you, your own personalized financial portal to give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life. We'll hone in on every issue you have, whether it's an income plan for retirement, how to take Social Security, a budgeting saving plan to make sure you're on track for financial independence. We'll look at your diversification. Are you taking way too much risk? Did you get hurt last year as markets were very volatile? Or are you sitting with way too much money in cash, paralysis by analysis, trying to figure out what to do? We put together a full investment game plan, and we'll look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high-cost products that have lots of fees, like annuities, mutual funds, insurance products, brokerage products. We'll go through everything you own, show you how to reduce the cost on your portfolio, and optimize it for taxes. We give you our full tax playbook. If you've saved over a million dollars for your financial independence plan, simply go to www paincm.com slash financial plan to see if you qualify for a free financial review. It's the tipping point. This is where we pinpoint the pain point, having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And Bob and Chris, you know, at our firm, Pain Capital Management, of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E. We're a boutique firm here in New York City, Philadelphia, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, we spend all of our time thinking about ways that you can really optimize your situation for financial independence. And I thought today we could talk about since still kind of the beginning of the year, you know, we're almost into March, but how do you design your wealth strategy for 2023? What are some of the critical questions you really need to ask yourself? And I think after last year, one of the biggest questions we all need to ask ourselves is, do I have the correct amount of risk in my portfolio? And I suspect a lot of us realize we might be taking more risk or maybe not enough risk uh, to make sure that we're on track. Well, guys, so now when we define risk, right? First of all, risk is something that's not fully recognized until you have hindsight, right? 2020 hindsight, you know, all the risk you took in your portfolio. In other words, you know what mistakes you made. But risk is something that, you know, it, it's defined differently by different people. And I think for our purposes today, we'll discuss it as volatility. You know, how much volatility can you handle? And I think that's really what you have to do is define how much risk you take in your portfolio. And my studies have shown 90% of every new client is taking way more risk than necessary to achieve their goals. Well, you know, that's a great example, Dad. Last night I met with a, with a prospective client, and we went through their portfolio, went through all their projections. They did a phenomenal job saving, but, you know, they're in their 60s, and they're almost 80% in at-risk assets, which is more risk than most people my age take. And going through the projections, we generally don't need that kind of risk. Well, I think it's. I think we see mo both extremes, right? Because there's two types of risk. Either you have too much money in the market, and maybe last year you had too much money in tech or growth, and you said, "Whoa, wait a second, my portfolio down, went down way more than I expected." Or on the flip side, you've had too much money in cash for too long, earning almost nothing on your money as inflation now is at a 40-year high, and that's a lot of risk too. Because if your money's not growing over inflation long term, you're losing against purchasing power. So it's really about finding that that specific balance that's right for you to make sure you can achieve your goals. Yeah, but that's what happens, guys. In bull markets, people tend to lose their focus. I think uh, Charlie Munger said, you know, the biggest enemy of investors is not greed, it's envy, 
right? You're sitting there chugging along <laughs> at eight, nine percent on a bull market and a balanced portfolio, and you're you're sitting there fat, dumb, and happy. But then the guy next door doubled his money in cryptocurrency, and you're jealous. And you think, oh my God, I'm I'm a poor investor. I got to get involved in these, uh, you know, these get quick rich schemes. Wait a minute, Bob. Well, I think anytime so, you make a decision with your ego in life, it's always a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but Bob, I'm, I'm a little envious. Chris just bought another boat. Like, geez, <laughs> you know, I, I would have. Maybe I need to take more risk in my portfolio. Boy, Ryan, if you're lucky, I might even take you out on it. <laughs> you know, Chris, I was, you know, Ryan, I was, I was looking at the quilt chart, and you know that uh, that boat uh, box has always outperformed, you know, large cap growth. You know, it's always good to invest in a depreciating asset. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, I think that's one of the keys to good financial planning is making sure you have the right balance. Because the same thing happens in a bear market. You end up putting too much money in cash, missing the recovery. And a lot of us did that too, right? We panic into CDs at the end of last year and missed a magnificent rally. So you know, it all goes back to figuring out what your goals are and figuring out what that balance is between safer investments like bonds, cash, and what you should have risk in the markets and what's right for you specifically. And I think that's the biggest mistake investors tend to make. And I think the simplest thing in the world to realize is that the best returns, the wealth creation that the markets generate comes from the compounding of your dividends and your interest. And if you're not diversified, if you have everything in one asset class, you know, take last year, for example, if you're all large cap growth, all you did was lose 30%. Now, something down 30% is a great time to add more money. But if all your money's in the same category, there's nowhere to draw additional funds to take advantage of that. And that you miss out on that compounding. And as a result, you underperform not a little bit, but dramatically. Well, the other side of that coin is that compounding can work against you too with inflation. If you're sitting with too much cash, you know, inflation over time will erode your purchasing power. You know, you're going to lose 50% of your dollar every 20 years. And that's the whole thing, Chris. When you're in retirement, you still got to purchase, right? You need you need money to purchase things. Yeah. So if you're in an all-equity portfolio, what you're doing to sustain yourself in retirement is you're selling your stocks down 70 80% you know, to, to cover your expenses. You need cash flow. You need income. You need balance, right? Just like I said earlier, trust but diversify. Well, the other question you have to ask yourself in 2023 is, am I utilizing every tax benefit available to me? And with that new tax law that was passed at the end of the year, um, with the Secure Act 2.0, there's a lot of ways to really optimize your tax situation. And I can tell you from the 50 or so portfolios we look at every month, most of us are not utilizing all the tax benefits available to us. And we're probably leaving, in some cases, hundreds of thousand dollars on the table that's going to Uncle Sam as opposed to your pocket. No, I mean, it's like, uh, thank God for Washington, D.C., I always say, guys, right? Because maybe without them, we wouldn't have a job. They screw things up every year. They change the rules. They change the, you know, they come out with this legislation last minute. Nobody reads the bill. Next thing you know, I don't have to take an RMD this year, you know, because they pushed it out another year. So you've got to be aware of what's happening out there, and you've got to be smart about it. There's no reason not to take a loss and tax harvest, you know, when things are down. But people don't like taking losses. They're not using their brain. They're using their emotions. Or they're just not aware of what tax benefits are available to you, whether it's converting money to Roth, a backdoor Roth IRA. There's so many ways to create tax-free income in retirement by doing simple little strategies. But what we find is most of you don't know that they're available to you uh, and you're not looking for it. But again, it has a huge impact positively if you just educate yourself a little bit 
on all the tax breaks that are out there. Yeah, and a really good example is I, I met with, I spoke with somebody last week and they said they're maxing out their 401k. They're putting in the $19,000 a year that they're able to. And I informed them that, in fact, they're able to put in $22,500 a year. The IRS gave us a generous increase in that. So it's little things like that that make a difference. Yeah, if you're an old dog like me, Chris, you can put in 30k. Well, yeah. I can't believe Ryan's paying you enough to do that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to review the everyone's W-2 to make sure, uh, you know, keeping expenses down. You guys are overhead. Hey, guys, it's also what I call trickle-down, you know, financial planning. If you don't know what the rules are, then you're not telling your kids about it. You're not taking advantage of your grandkids. Like, just about every one of our clients who have children, you know, they're in their, you know, early years of employment should be putting 100% of their Roth uh, 401k into Roth. And they don't even know that, right? They're not aware of that. They think, oh, no, I need the tax deduction, right? I'm getting killed on taxes. Um, no, you don't. You need to get that money growing tax-free. So there's so many different nuances, so many little things that if you don't do it each year, you miss the opportunity. And again, the compounding effect is huge. It can make the big, a big difference between retiring comfortably or having to work later, 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 later in life. Yeah, no, exactly. And the other, the other question you have to ask yourself right now, too, is just like the simple thing, do I have a budget this year? Am on my track with what I need to be saving for retirement? Or if you're retired now, do you know what that number is that you can take on an annual basis? This isn't fun stuff, but all these numbers need to be figured out. I mean, that's what we spend a good portion of our time is just helping clients budget, figuring out whether you're in the wealth creation stage. Am I saving enough? Or on the wealth distribution stage, are you taking too much or could you spend more? And I can tell you that 99.9% .9 of the people that walk through our door do not have a clue as to what they spend. And then the people that think they have a clue, it's usually 30 to 40% more than what they thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a problem. You think, oh, I've got a covered. That usually means you don't have a covered. That's a bad, that's a bad place to be. Um, but these, this is what you have to know. And it's early enough in the year to really get on top of this and really say, okay, like, let's sit down. Let's figure out where I am in terms of my, my budgeting what my risk should be in my portfolio, what tax advantages I have. These are simple things, but they have a huge impact on your financial health. It's the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, ChatGPT has hit an estimated 100 million monthly active users making it the fastest growing consumer internet application in history, according to a UBS study. An exciting development in artificial intelligence. However, ChatGPT has caught fire as a free tool, whereas consumers rushed to pay about 500 bucks for the first iPhone, meaning, is there really going to be profits here? I doubt it, right? The only thing I think is the only negative is all those fraternities and all those universities in the country all those term papers that are in the file drawers and the, and the frat house are useless now because now you can have a computer write your, your, your papers for you. So I think a lot of students are going to be using this software. I feel bad for the professors and the teachers having to track down all the cheating that's going to go on in, in college. Funny enough, there was a, there was a terrible rom-com that I saw this past week with Ashton Kutcher and uh, Reese Witherspoon. It was so bad that one of the critics said, maybe this is the first film written with chat GPT because the, the, uh, the dialogue was so bad. Anyway, I thought that was a pretty funny comment. All right, Chris. It's funny you're watching rom-coms. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's the more questionable uh, <laughs> stat there. Okay, uh, Chris, recent tech layoffs have been widely publicized as a warning sign of more reductions in the overall U.S. labor force. However, the tech sector isn't really that representative 
of the economy at large. The information industry only accounts for about 2% of all non-farm payrolls. Well, I can tell you, right. I have one client that works in tech and she still has a job, but I'll tell you what, if talking to my clients, especially the ones that are business owners, they all have the same problem. I can't get enough people to cover the jobs that I have open. No, it's true. I was down in Orlando uh, speaking at a conference last week, and it was all physical therapists. And their biggest problem is they have to do the work. <laughs> they said they own the business, but they said they're doing more of the, the sessions themselves because they just can't find people, which is more indicative of what's going on in the economy. It drives me crazy when the media just extrapolates out uh, because we're having tech layoffs. All of a sudden, we're having layoffs in the entire economy. It's just not true. Bob. For individuals, single stock buying has been dominated by one market darling this year, one we talk about a lot, Tesla. Over the past several weeks, Tesla has accounted for roughly a third of all single stock net purchases by individual investors, according to Vanda Research. Well, you know, it's always interesting when you see a, a stock that's down 80%. And you have to remember, when something gets down 80%, it has to double uh, that. It's got to go up 160% uh, in order to get back to even. And even though it's had a bounce, uh, which is pulling in a lot of individual investors, right? I would call that a, you know, they call it a dead cat bounce. I'm going to call it a dead battery bounce. Um, I think that's a stock that should be sold, not bought. Bob's on fire today, Chris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's kind of wild because we were talking about this uh, before the show. You know, really, interest rates are going back up again, which typically isn't good for a lot of these disruptive technologies. Meanwhile, Bitcoin, for some reason, has been going up the last week or two. Uh, there's a lot of money going into that ARC fund again. It just shows you in the short term, like, who knows what's going to happen, right? All the fundamentals go out the window. But I suspect, you know, based on the fact that it's just a lot of retail investors speculating that these probably aren't going to be the best place to be, at some point that music's going to stop. All right, Chris. British Petroleum, or BP, says it will invest $1 billion more a year in both fossil fuels and energy transition businesses through the year 2030 lead to higher oil production and more renewables. Ironically, traditional energy companies will be one of the biggest investors and providers of sustainable energy in the future. I guess it's not so great to be anti-old uh, school energy companies. That's true. And you know, a lot of these <clears throat> ESG you know, mutual funds that you see out there, anti-fossil fuel renewable energy, are not only are they expensive, but they've also underperformed. And the ironic part is the best way to participate would be to buy traditional energy companies. <laughs> yeah, it, it just shows you, too, it's much more complicated than what gets politicized, right? I mean, it's like, yes, these energy companies are evil. But on the other hand, they're going to be one of the biggest benefactors that gets us to renewables in the future. So um, it's not as cut and dry as uh, a lot of people like you to think. You know, take the chat GPT software. Are the big companies that are bringing it out going to be the big winners, or are there some small, mid-sized companies that are going to be the dominant companies, you know, in that area, in that space? You know, you won't know with hindsight. That's why it's so important to be broadly diversified, because the biggest winners in your portfolio are unknown, um, and it's always better to own them yeah. in hindsight than to try and predict which ones you're going to speculate in. And it drives me crazy on all those shows like CNBC on TV where they speculate about, okay, Microsoft has their own chat GPT now, and they're going to take over the search from Google. Nobody knows. And to your point, Bob, <laughs> the obvious way we think things are going to go is probably not going to be the winners of the future. And it's like, it's going to be unknowable in the meantime to try to figure that out. Well, good luck. It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. It's like impossible, basically. Well, you know, Rye, you can't predict the future, right? So... You know, nobody, nobody can predict the future. Nobody can predict the unpredictable or know the unknowable. But what I do know is the world doesn't end very often. 
And markets are looking pretty good right now. Way to keep it simple, Bob. All right, another great episode of Pain Points of Wealth. If you like our podcast, love our podcast, please give us the five-star rating on iTunes. Leave us a comment. If this is on Spotify, you can like. You can actually subscribe to our channel. If this is on YouTube, you can give this episode a like. You can subscribe as well. And you click that notification bell to be updated every week of all our new content. Your support gives us the support to continue to do this. And if you have questions, simply go to bebullish.com slash questions. Bob, Chris, and I will answer all your questions. That's it for this week. Stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Investment is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.